we cut over to Cassie again. Yeah. Um, he talks about for a long time I was gone, unconscious, unaware, a worm in hibernation. The limited caterpillar might not even functioning at its very limited level. It was like I was dead, only there were still these faint, far-off dreams. Wisps of dreams, really. Nothing to hold on to. Faint images of people and places. My parents, most of all. Not that I knew what those vague faces meant. But, I'm, yeah, it's lovely. But it's like, I was changing, but I didn't know that I was changing. I didn't even know that I existed. Um... Inside a hardened shell hanging from the bottom of a leaf, I was becoming one of the miracles of nature. I was living through nature's own morphing. Slowly, so slowly, I became aware. And the chrysalis cracks. And Cassie is a butterfly. The world is full of color. She knows who she is. And she is in the world. Yeah. And emerges from this chrysalis. Yeah. And it's so much. Uh, and she's delighted because she won't live out her life as a slug. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, she's like, had had I cheated? Had Karen known about it? But um, she could have, she says, oh, I could have almost been happy. But all of her memories come back. Um, and like awareness. How long had I been this way? What agony are my parents in? Are my friends, do they know? Um a butterfly and she comes back to this but she's a butterfly she wanted to cry but her butterfly instincts tell her she's got work to do flowers loaded with pollen waiting for me to help them live yeah she once again kind of retreats into the mind of the insect Mm -hmm. meanwhile we cut back to jake who's in science class and then Tobias flies past the window, just like, Jake, 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 she's coming out. <laughs> and it's just sort of like, and Jake just bails on mm-hmm. class. So he has to hurl. Uh, Rachel also has to hurl and busts out of class. Um, Marco says that he has to put on a nicoderm patch because he's trying to break the smoking habit and to not stop him. <laughs> um, and then there's this visual of everybody assembled around this little flower garden behind Cassie's house where they put the chrysalis um, and they know that it's quicker than it should be um, mm-hmm. but Tobias points out eh, it's Cassie um, <laughs> and Rachel's crying which Jake notes is disturbing because she doesn't cry and realises that he is as well um, and they're both like really happy that mm-hmm. Cassie's like a butterfly it really wasn't anything to celebrate though um, and Axe shows up in human morph, trotting a little erratically on his two legs, which is adorable. Um, and then he's just like, what's that? And he's just like, oh, it's Cassie coming from the chrysalis. And he's like, that's not the body she had. And Mark is like, no, no, that's what happens. The caterpillar becomes the butterfly and then the butterfly flies off. And Axe is just like, naturally occurring morphing? You didn't tell me. And Jake's like, yeah, I guess it's natural morphing. Um, I guess it's better to live your life as a butterfly than as a caterpillar. Then we have some peacocks. Would Cassie <laughs> prefer being this creature to being human again? It's like, no, Axe, of course not. We're just saying it's better than the caterpillar. Ah, I see. But maybe she would like to demorph now. I'm sure she would, Marcus said grimly. Then she should, Axe said. And everyone <laughs> just like looks at Axe and she just like grabs him by the collar. It's just like, are you jacking my chain? Have you got something to say? It's just like, oh, I see. You didn't realize. Uh, a very complicated word, realize. And the Z sound makes my human mouth parts tickle. And then Jake's like, Axe, are you saying Cassie can morph? 
He's like, I believe so. This naturally occurring morph should reset the morphing clock. She has two hours to demorph. I just fucking love me a plot. This is one of the few plot contrivances I can get behind. <laughs> and just like get that butterfly. Uh, and then we return to Cassie. Yeah. And uh, she's back and has to lie about falling into the river and that ate some mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and she just comments on that being kind of funny that the whole deal was mushrooms. Um, mm-hmm. Her parents get overprotective for a couple of days, which she understands. Uh, and she none reflects. Of, mm-hmm. None what? of the controllers say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and it's just like it is genuinely normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one day her dad comes home and he's like super stoked. Uh, because the wildlife clinic is open for business again. Uh, cause some guy from Unibank called up and said his daughter had heard about the clinic and that she's been bugging him to, uh, give them money. <laughs> um, and he's like, so tell me what you need to make my little girl happy. And, uh, Cassie, uh, Karen made good and, uh, wonders who she was. Um, and yeah. Uh, but she she doesn't know for sure that it's not Aftran right but Uh, she knows that they haven't been given up to the Yerks Cassie Um, and Rachel go shopping I love this detail that since being a butterfly Cassie is more interested in colours so Rachel's like okay so this means you need new clothes (laughs) Uh, and is trying to explain the concept of accessorising and Cassie sees Karen at the mall um, and she goes over to talk to her. Um, and Karen tells Cassie that she's free, that Aftran kept her promise. I couldn't say anything. Words wouldn't come out. I just knelt down and gave the little girl a hug. One small victory. One girl free. One connection made with one of our enemies. A very small piece. She would be glad you escaped, Karen said. She tried to stop you at the very end. Which speaks to the truth of what Aftran had said. I nodded, wordless still. Her mother came and got her then. Karen disappeared, a little girl carrying a huge secret, her mind filled with things no little girl should know. Kind of like me, I realized. Kind of like all the Animorphs. Was I still an Animorph? Yes. It meant I would have to fight sometimes. But being an Animorph might also let me find other small victories for peace. Amid all the conflict and fear and rage, I could still look for the enemy who might become a friend. It wasn't a perfect answer, but it was the best I could do. So, Rachel demanded, holding up two sweaters, which one do you like, the green or the red? I thought of Aftran, the enemy. I thought of her swimming blind in the yerk pool with only her memories of a brighter world. She'd told me that humans live in paradise. She'd turned her back on on paradise to make a small piece. Both, Rachel. And I like the blue. And the yellow. And that gross color there. And the stripes. We live in paradise, Rachel, and we don't even know it. And we don't know when it might end. We might have- we might- we'd be fools- to not enjoy it while we can. So whip out your credit card. We're adding some color. Uh, and there the book ends. Uh, so. That's book 19. Uh, that's book 19. We we did get one question on Twitter. Uh, Yo! Sanson Carrasco. Uh, at Walking Contradiction. Except without any of the vowels. Um... 
when the fuck does the new clock start? The moment the cocoon first cracks? The moment she's fully out? Biggest cop-out solution in the series, in my opinion. <laughs> Which, Correct. you're not wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> any, any real uh, inspection of this plot device makes it immediately obvious that it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, no, it's very much like a wet <laughs> paper sculpture. Like, you poke it just a little bit, the whole thing's gonna fall apart. Not even proper paper mache with all the layers. Yeah. Just it's like, literally yeah. just like wet paper draped over, like, popsicle sticks. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, uh... But I do yeah. like it. <laughs> I, I like the poetry yeah. of it. Yes. And I want to come back to that uh, chapter where Cassie is giving her perspective on going through the meta- the literal yes. metamorphosis. And the choice yeah. of language, I feel that is so very well written mm-hmm. because obviously it is a metaphor for coming out the other side, well, I say coming out the other side, of maybe not getting over her depression and trauma, but mm. coming to sort of balance with it. Mm-hmm. And that she's able to, because I know I've seen people talk about like post side of depression or w- when you're coming out of the worst depths of it and yeah, feeling yeah. like the world is in color again mm-hmm. when it was black and white before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that notion of like that she is actually feeling things. Yes. But she's mm-hmm. upset and she's going through these emotions and it is like this act of dying because that, I mean, Caterpillars basically liquefy in there. Yeah, and they turn into goo. Things. It's so fucking weird. But there's something beautiful, not in necessarily becoming goo, <laughs> each their own, but the fact that Cassie is like effectively unmade. Yes. And rebuilt. Yeah. And she has this understanding of herself because now and like that she can be upset by war and the things that this war is going to ask of her. But she can feel again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is like you reach a breaking point or it's like getting a good therapy session. Like you're still depressed, but it is not all consuming in the same way. Like yeah. you can breathe mm-hmm. again. You have hope. It, uh, yeah, it doesn't feel, yeah, like she has hope for herself. It doesn't feel like, and now Cassie's fixed and we'll never be sad about the war again. But mm-hmm. she's seeing the world in colour again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she- feeling connected to Rachel and yeah. goes shopping with Rachel mm-hmm. and is happy to like have this happen. Yeah. And it's just beautiful to be with Cassie in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm really mm-hmm. glad we got that chapter from her perspective. Because mm-hmm. for all my frustrations with some of how she's written in this book, and uh, I know Jen did some shouting in the channel that was very articulate, mm-hmm. uh, just like, <laughs> I don't get it, I don't like it. And I just that very literal way of the war changing us mm-hmm. and the thing Cassie becomes. Yeah. As a metaphor goes, while also being a literal thing, it's very good and very narratively satisfying yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though I could see why people might go, well, that hand-waving the actual and thus the morphability was reset yeah. by 
literal metamorphosis. Yeah. I though mm-hmm. I do appreciate the hilarity of Axe being like, huh, neat. So that'll <laughs> let him off back then. And they're like, what? He's just like, oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's just I love that. Yeah. Because yeah. I him not knowing that a caterpillar does that. It makes perfect sense. And obviously mm-hmm. nobody said anything to him or explained it to him, maybe because he didn't ask. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things just like, I just wish they would talk to Axe more about how shit works on Earth. <laughs> oh my God, somebody teach this boy. Yeah. But yeah, that little visual of him coming over and being happy about how realize is said. And yeah, the Z sounds do feel good in the mouth. You're so right. Excellent. <laughs> um, but we like we like z- 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 It's good shit. But yeah, I just I very much like it. And given yeah. how frustrating so much of the book could feel at times, either intentionally or unintentionally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for all it's a cop out solution for getting there, I like the destination we got to. Yeah, it mm-hmm. it is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. I definitely see and understand the like, oh, that's a cop out. You know, she made this choice, you know, stick to your guns. But also it's a kid series. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, uh, uh, if the fact that Aftram's like, okay, don't do it. You're done. You sh- you proved mm-hmm. the point. You showed yes. that you were willing to do the thing. The fact that Aftram was willing to let it end. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it the, the, sci- the science is the cop-out more than anything. I feel like yes. it achieved its purpose for Aftran and also Cassie got something out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because and... she got to not be for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we talk about we talked about how uh, in mm-hmm. suicide ideation, a lot of times it's just wanting to not be for a little while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what she gets. She gets to lose yeah. herself in Caterpillar and then literally stop existing for a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then get the experience of for herself experiencing firsthand of the world appearing in color. Yeah. Which, to all the listeners at home, this is not how suicide works in real life. No. No. It's no. a permanent solution. Uh, you don't get to take it back. No. Um, no, you do not. So, so don't don't take that lesson away from this. No. Uh, however, I do think it is interesting as a metaphor for that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Apologize. If, apologies if any of our phrasing up to this point may be indicated otherwise. Yeah. Please talk to people. Please. Um. And people, yeah. if anyone in your life is like withdrawing like this and talking about not feeling anything, reach out to them. They do mm-hmm. not do not expect people to reach out to you necessarily. Look off, look after each other, please. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I just I like that. I'm just going to be reiterating what you said, Jade. But it's just yeah. the she's been given enough hope to keep going. Yeah, yeah. they say like a little hope is a dangerous thing, mm-hmm. but Cassie as a person and their characterization needs it. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that she has this way to, that allows her to be part of the group. And in theory, when it's well written, be that person that comes right. up with the hopeful option and can yep. give, make sure that choice is on the table and yep. be the one that reaches across the table. Mm-hmm. Because it's, 
Yeah. It's needed. They yes. need it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it really is kind of the, the culmination of her crisis here because her crisis isn't, isn't necessarily that she has to do violence. It's that all she can see is violence is the answer to everything is violence. And it's just going to be more and more killing until the war is over. And she can't be a part of that. Yeah. But with this, she thinks, well, maybe not all the time, but maybe some of the time there can be a different answer. It's possible to have a different answer. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and knowing that, yeah. and see, and knowing that it works. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it. I think it. It really helps her find a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, of okay, I can keep doing this for a bit longer because mm-hmm. I know that there are other options. Mm-hmm. Um. But Shall we get into our discussion points? Let's get into our discussion points. Um, before we get into these particular ones, mm. um, uh, let I, I do want to briefly uh, mention that the way that the authors treat the Yerk natural state as just the worst possible thing it could be sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Regardless of the fact that it is Aftran's perspective on it, right. and there are Yerks that probably don't feel that way. Right. That is the only point of view we are hearing. Yes. In this book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it uh, doesn't it's feel bad. great. Yep. It it's bad, and especially considering we know that the authors have uh, a real bad tendency to be ableist. Um, it yep. it just makes it worse. Yep. Because I'm pretty sure they did not ever think about, oh, I'm sure there are some Yerks that are happy to just be Yerks. They probably think, oh no, these ones that want peace are making the ultimate sacrifice. And it's like, mm, mm, bad. No. That, that's kind of gross, y'all. That, that, that's real gross. That's, that's bad. Because, uh, like, there's probably Yerks who, like, got into a ged and were like, Holy shit, this is so much never again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a censoring nightmare. I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> Put me back in the pool. Right. Yeah. But it, it's like I think we talked about in our first recording, like the um these yurks that have never known pool life on the home mm-hmm. world. All they know is like the loud, crowded, portable yurk pools. It's either and it's either that. Or it's being in a host. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've never gotten to experience. I don't say that pure life because that takes me into like some weird eco-fascism, cottagey core yeah. stuff about getting back to basics. But like I say, we don't know if there are yokes who are really happy. And like the way Aftran actually describes it sounds amazing. Like this whole language mm-hmm. and, and things like that and about being happy and content Mm -hmm. and like thriving yeah it's yeah yeah it it presents this interesting 
the interesting take of your culture, I think, is not the take that is, oh, we're all just blind and helpless and uh, isn't it terrible and we just want more. I think the much more interesting take is that the the Empire is using that particular phrasing to convince the others of, like, no, we should go and conquer other people. Um, mm-hmm. Because there are always going to be people that want to do violence to other people. Um, yep. And, of course, there are those people that would seize power within your culture and who would know how to utilize uh kind of yurk's um mm. maybe dissatisfaction with their situation under the andalites to their mm. advantage and to uh generalize that to everything else mm. right they they very clearly make the choice we are either conquering other people or we are stuck in the pools back on homeworld, only allowed what little pittance the Andalites give us, you know? Mm-hmm. And the we see a little bit of, like, even before the Yerks did what they did, the Andalites did not think well of the Yerks. Uh, they were very much like, oh, the slugs. Like, Ciro, why do you hang out with these guys? Like, they suck. Yeah, I was, I was going <laughs> to say, there is something to that. Um, that I mentioned it earlier in passing when we were talking about um, Karen being mm-hmm. this uh, white, little white girl. Yeah. And there's something about, like, the way... I, I'm sorry, my brain is struggling to come up with words to articulate my point so apologies if i waff get a bit wafty here um the attractive face of things like Mm -hmm. if something is ugly it is worth less yes Mm -hmm. regardless of what status obviously in our society obviously white able-bodied ideals is what is sort of held up as the pinnacle of goodness and Mm -hmm. anything that isn't that is viewed as lesser yes and i think it's easy to and it's and it's very easy to internalize that shit. We talk about um, and I'm going to go into more detail when we get onto a later one of our discussion points. But this sort of trickles down to colorism as mm-hmm. well, just sort of like mm-hmm. loathing something in yourself because it is viewed as lesser. Yeah, mm-hmm. and having to internalize that, and also like being trapped in the head of we talked about like the influence a host might have. Like, when you resent something, it's easy to be, like, uh, cruel about it and minimize it Mm -hmm. and be insulted by it. But also, like, kids can be really funny about slugs. Like, I like that they had the phrase of characters like, ew, a slug, gross. I'm a person that gets upset if I even step on a snail. Like, I genuinely feel upset. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just like, yeah, cool, slugs, like. Can we keep off the cabbages, please? Yeah. (laughs) But it's like the way we are taught and society values attractiveness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the way like everything, we don't pay attention to a a rash of missing children so long as those children are brown. The second Mm -hmm. a little white girl goes missing, oh, now, Mm -hmm. now it's a problem. Yeah. 
And as and soon as that like, little white kid is found, the problem is solved. Yeah, yeah, never mind. And it's just like, it's that. Like, it's it's like a microcosm example of mm-hmm. the way in which something is devalued because it doesn't look a certain way. Yeah. And it's it's a self-propagating cycle. Absolutely. Right? Everyone tells you, oh, we need to conquer these people because everybody hates us and we won't be able to get anything any other way. And mm-hmm. you take those people, and guess what? They hate you. <laughs> it, Weird it's how a, that works. Yep. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, well, if they're going to hate us anyway, we might as well exactly. you know, be really, might as well do the shitty thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, actually, like, I'm, I'm backing up a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, there, uh, Jade, you mentioned that, like, the Andalites look down on the Yurks. Was it because they were Yerks or because they weren't Andalites? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's because we hear about Andalites like doing trade with and like interacting with other species, not in a great way. They're still mm. holier than thou, uh, but in a we recognize you as people way. Uh, hey, um. But so also, the Yerks didn't have anything they wanted. Yeah, the mm. Yerks. It, it's like we we'd see in uh, the Andalite Chronicles that like the Andalites see a Skritna ship leaving Earth, and they're like, "Ah, time to uh, stop them and board their ship." We don't know what the fuck they're carrying. We just want to board them and search it, like some called. Yeah. yeah, like a cop. They're they're space cops, um, <clears throat> the most corrupt space cops. Yeah, and when we see them on the Yurk homeworld, it's basically like, ah, oh, yes, we found that this planet has sentient life. Let's create. Let's construct a military base here. Like, mm-hmm. uh, guys, yeah, what the it's, fuck? It, it's peak colonizer bullshit. Yes, mm-hmm. our way is the only way to do things. Yes. And we are here to show you how to be better and to yep. be part of the wider world. It's some missionary bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, the Skritna look like cockroaches and the Yurks look like slugs and the Taxons look like giant centipedes. There's a theme here with insects. Um, we it's don't... Because- we, we've, we've, I think we've talked about this, about how certain things are easier to empathize with because, oh, wait, they look more like us. Yeah, they mm-hmm. have a face. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really see the Andalites interacting with more, quote unquote, humanoid species, um, mostly because K.A. does a pretty good job of making their aliens fucking weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but there is... Like we, and we get this vibe, like to pay to to refer back to what Dirk was saying about Andalites just being Andalites towards the Yerks, and was that yeah. it? We've seen how the Andalite society is. They're so snooty about each other. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm sorry, you're a data analyst. Ugh. Yeah. Like it- the what what Andalites value, and they do see themselves as being. A great power in the galaxy, the mm-hmm. mighty ones who need to know better to set the example. There is everything about the Andalites has been framed with this uh, to show their arrogance. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They think they are the smartest, the cleverest, the most well-informed. And so they take that worldview mm-hmm. out there. We see it with Axe and him having to unlearn this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Adelites have a very, as we have seen them written, see things a very specific way and it, they have to unlearn it. Yeah. In much the same way that we see um, Aftran learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they have these set ways of thinking about things that they have yeah. to unpack yeah. to get over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is, it is in that way an interesting, uh, simile to you know whatever ism of having to unlearn those uh innate not innate but uh learned learned systemic systemic. yeah systemic thank you um and i think one argument about the andalites not just being andalites but hating yurks is we see how aloran thinks of the yurks and, and we see how the Andalites interact with the humans. And both are extremely patronizing. But there's still more personhood given to humans, even if they don't give them choices. Mm. It's like, um, kind of like how Jade, when you were playing, uh, XMRI in the, mm. in, in the, the game, you know, those are children. Um, it's like, ah, yes, we must take care of these children, um, and protect them from themselves, from other things, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas it's it's all patronizing. It's just a different flavor of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think the Yerk patronizing flavor is much more of a ill. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, this, all this to say, it doesn't make the Yerks right. No, we are not, we are not excusing yerk bullshit here. No, we are just pointing out how andalite bullshit may contribute to yerk bullshit. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Whatever, whatever bullshit, bullshit. the yerks are up to, the andalites one hundred percent made it worse. Yeah, oh, yeah. Bullshit begets bullshit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> they definitely made it worse. Uh, yeah. Like like the hork the humans are in fact caught in the middle of these two asshole species that mm-hmm. are warring mm-hmm. it out. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the only difference is that the humans uh, are given agency a mm-hmm. little bit, and the hork aren't. Yeah. Um, Good uh, show. Next book is HBC. I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, okay, let's look at these other discussion questions. Let's do. We want to do. Let's do the the top one first. Yeah, and then move on to the second one. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. because we've already discussed uh, Sanson's uh, mm-hmm. question. Yeah. Um, so the point we've got. Uh, here is what is the balance between letting Cassie be soft and compassionate and having the only black character be the only one who comes to sympathize with the slaver aliens is one weakened because of the other or is there actually a balance somewhere in here and for me as a black person like uh this very much 
weakens Cassie as a black person. Like, maybe as a character, this is really interesting and good. Like, this is Mm -hmm. definitely, like, good conversations and good Cassie development. If you set aside the fact that she's also supposed to be a black person. Right. uh, Because, like, even if she is a black person growing up in, you know a pretty nice neighborhood uh, or, or like a mostly white neighborhood is w- what I should be saying. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, the certain privileges of, you know, being somewhere middle class, like uh, you, uh, you, you don't get to be a 13 year old black kid and not be aware that you are black, except mm-hmm. uh Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, except for, like, the very rare occasions where, like, the kid is mixed and their white parent protects them more than a black parent could have protected them, than having two Mm -hmm. black parents could have protected them from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was just going to wanted to add on to your point, Dak. Apologies for cutting off a little there. Uh, of no. Just, like, generational trauma is a thing, is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's Kimberly Jones, the activist. I, I follow her on Twitter. But yeah, just sort of like she said some really cool things. I'll try to get a link for our show notes. Um, who's somebody who does some very articulate stuff from a very informed perspective. Mm. Um, but yeah, really, I feel like Dirk, you are the voice on this, on that statement as like, yeah, here, and- here, here in this conversation we are having, like, yeah, it's. Yeah. Were you gonna say something, Dirk? Oh, uh, I-, I was just gonna. I have a friend. Um, uh, he's Italian, and mm-hmm. he's Italian in that way where, like, you know, some people are like, you know, I'm not white, I'm Italian, like the uh-huh. whole cultural thing with it. I hit my uh-huh. thing. Um, uh, but like, he, he, me and him have had a lot of long conversations. Where he's like, you know, somebody needs to reach across the table, reach out to people. And I'm like, you know what? I am glad you exist. I am glad you want to be that person. I don't. And I will not be that Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, like, being Black in uh, the United States and just generally being dark-skinned in 90% of places in the world is already reaching across the table to, Mm. you know, try to understand the experiences of others. Like, I'm sure we've all seen the thing. Uh, It's similar for, like, women or for being autistic. It Mm. is an entire process of, like, constantly... Uh, making sure you understand somebody else's perspective so that you can hopefully avoid them noticing you enough that you can not get hurt. Yeah, the same for visibly trans folk as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a, a mm-hmm. similar thing. Shouldn't conflate. Yeah, another um, example of. It speaks very much to uh, not just tone policing, but how in the United States it, we very much put the onus on uh, black the people oppressed group. and 
other people of color to like fix the system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And not doing fuck or all until, y- you know, the uh, black voices are loud enough that we can't ignore it anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like people won't speak out against the system that benefits them. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like to make another, uh, it's another conversation, but they're never going to get rid of capitalism while people are getting more money off it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The system, the systems are working the way they were designed for the people that designed them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's why we talk about privilege. Because yeah. actively or not, you are benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. like, a, be it able-bodied privilege, be it uh, cis cis privilege, or more importantly in this case, be it white privilege, because that's really the focus of this conversation that we're mm-hmm. having here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do also want to add, like, I really liked Cassie in the beginning of the series because she was probably one of my very first examples in media of black girls being soft, being emotional, having compassion, Mm -hmm. because, like, I've got all kinds of soft feelings. I feel things a lot. And, like, this was the first time I got to see that in any sort of media. So that is a great thing that I do love. But, Mm -hmm. like, it weakens her as uh, supposedly being a Black person if she is the one doing this reaching across the table with a yerk. And... I'm not saying that those black people don't exist who do have, you know, the mental and emotional strength to go, I'm going to be gentle and patient with this teaching, especially because she's 13, she's young. And like, Mm -hmm. when you're young, you definitely feel more like uh, I can be, I I can reach across the table. Yeah. Um, But like, still. Yeah. I feel like it might be different if she weren't literally the only black character in the series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The onus of representation, because when there is only one of a character or one of representation, they then are forced to be seen as the only one. Right. And that's not fair. And that's bullshit. Yeah. 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 I was just thinking about... um, I don't know what I was thinking about because it disappeared. Uh, I will give a, a a shout out to I think which was a really good bit of casting uh, of another Scholastic Book Fair staple, <laughs> um, the recent uh, adaption on Netflix of The Babysitters Club, which I have watched some of. It's very cute and good. But the fact that they cast a black girl as Marianne, mm-hmm. who on the all the covers of the books was always portrayed as a white girl, mm-hmm. yeah, but- like a fat redheaded girl, right? No, no, that was Mallory. Oh, uh, Marianne was always just sort of like slightly round face, but like with the pigtails and, and stuff like that. But okay. she is like the soft, emotional heart of the Babysitters Club. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that they made Marianne um, a black girl, and that's actually addressed like her dad is played by the guy that plays Kevin in Brooklyn Nine Nine. 
but like mm-hmm. they make this wonderful detail. I don't want to. I won't derail the conversation for too long about how he always does her hair the same way because it's the only hairstyle <laughs> he had time to learn from her mother before her mother died, mm-hmm. and it's the only hairstyle he knows how to do for black hair. Mm-hmm. And that's why he always does that one. Yeah. And it's just sort of like they make the fact that she is black, like there are clearly there was clearly black writers involved in it. They all, the fact that they also have made uh, Dawn. Um, I think she's Latina, the actress. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure, but th- they just did that. Like Claudia was always um, Asian American, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I really just liked that. Mm-hmm. And just promptly ignored anybody that had a little pissy fit <laughs> otherwise. But yeah, yeah, like to that credit, like because there needs to be more examples of young black girlhood in media that's not aimed at like exclusively a black audience. Yeah. But like black girls deserve to see it and white people need to see it. Because then you say, oh, yeah, because there's lots of studies about like the way black girls are seen as older and more mature and stuff like that. And it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it's white supremacy in action. Yeah. So. And uh, that actually reminds me uh, back to the thought of, you know, if you only have one example, it has to carry everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot remember the name of the movie off the top of my head. Uh, they're all immortal. Charlize Theron is in it. Oh, the, uh, old, the guard. old guard? Yes, the old guard. <laughs> and, and, and Danielle, like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, something I really loved about the old guard is, you know that scene in the beginning where, like, the immortals are going to go fight some people in the Middle East? Mm-hmm. Uh that really stuck with me because before we get to that fight, we see them like walking along somewhere and there's some regular ass Middle Eastern people walking by and they mm. don't have a conversation with them. They're on screen for like 15 seconds, but just the fact that they are there is like acknowledgement of the, there are regular ass people living regular ass lives uh, yes. And the people our heroes are going to fight are assholes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I also like Nico actually does say hello in mm-hmm. Arabic. As yeah. They walk past. Yeah. And the fact that we have them. and we have Joe, a, a Muslim Middle Eastern man, as part of the the mm-hmm. fact that he goes by Joe and not like Yosef is mm-hmm. its own mm-hmm. quibbly mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, watch the old guard. It's did, did you hear it? Did you hear about how the old guard two script is done? Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> too old to guard. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yes, to return back to uh, Cassie. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, uh, some this. I think I can't remember if I wrote this whole line, but I know I wrote a lot of it. Um, and this is true. I think of a lot of '90s media. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a point Danielle and I have made before. Um, Leaving it to, to springboard off the excellent points Dirk was making about the failure of Cassie as a black character or the disservice done to her as a black character by making her be the one to do the reaching across the table, as it were. Mm-hmm. Cassie is not written 
as a black character. If you did not see the covers, there's maybe a couple of mentions, maybe, of her having dark skin. Yeah. But nothing... And I could be wrong, there could be something in, in future books, but the the ethnic diversity of the Animorphs is set dressing. Yeah. Yeah. It the fact that uh Marco is uh Latino, probably Mexican specifically, mm-hmm. or at least his mother is, mm-hmm. and he's mixed, um, it doesn't make a, a shit of difference. Yeah. Because it's not done with the idea of exploring what it means to be a young black woman going through this, a young um, Mexican man to go through this. And Mm. this is why I wanted to bring up the notion of colorblind versus identity conscious. Yeah. Um, I'd love if we could drop the link. I put links to the YouTube videos in our doc. If we could pop those in the show notes as well, Danielle, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. This is really cool uh, YouTuber, uh, Khadija Bo. Mm-hmm. Love her stuff. She talks a lot about things like colorism and uh, representation of how, uh, like, she did this great one about digital blackface. Like, either way, her videos are incredibly well researched and she is incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her family is Sudanese originally but she grew up like muslim raised muslim and stuff like that she lives in Mm -hmm. canada now but was raised in america Mm -hmm. she's dope as hell but one of her videos um is um about colorblind versus identity conscious um Mm -hmm. casting and i think i can't remember if i was watching another video essay or we were having a conversation in one of the servers about like uh if you do just colorblind casting you run into problems, and this mm-hmm. I think is true of animals, even though it's like visuals and not like a, a physical actor. Yeah. By like having, say, a black character say certain thing, and just mm-hmm. sort of like mm, mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. doesn't work or undermines things, or it carries connotations. Like we made a reference to a joke that Rachel makes at Marco's expense right. about being yeah. a gardener, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how I pointed that out as feeling hella racist because he's Mexican. Mm-hmm. but because clearly the writers don't take that into consideration with these books yeah like yeah. we talked about it in the first with the first one about a police officer dragging a black girl into a car yeah yeah because it feels like set dressing if you're going to make the choice to have characters of color that should inform things which is the whole thing about identity conscious casting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um because like and i say this as a recovering hamilton stan and i still <laughs> like it but like the inherent dissonance of having black mm-hmm. characters play people who were slavers and yeah. slave owners versus identity conscious which is making a deliberate choice to have a person of color play a role or yeah. play a part in a story. Because mm-hmm. um, there is some colorblind stuff that works, like uh, the 1997 uh, Cinderella with Brandy that has like um, Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother that she mm-hmm. finances and has like Victor Garber and Whitney Houston, not Whitney, and Whoopi Goldberg as the king and queen, and their son mm-hmm. is, I think, a <laughs> Filipino actor. Fuck it. It all goes, and it's great. And that's an example of colorblind working, but that's also a fantasy 
fairy tale. Yeah. When we're in the nominal real world, people's races have connotations and it means something. And especially as like, if you are writing people of a different ethnicity, you cannot just treat them like you would a white character in the text because yeah. you will run into things like Dirk so articulately put, like it undermines the character you are trying to write. And it does a disservice to the people you're trying to write for. Mm-hmm. Just a little awareness. But just, yeah. And um, ah. Ah. Like uh, it, yeah, it's that need to be representation versus it being, or it failing as representation because you've just treated a character's ethnicity as visual as a set dressing mm-hmm. yeah and um i uh when i started listening to escafil files because i realized i would be able to follow it i sent you guys like a whole long message about cassie getting arrested and mm-hmm. how like when i read that as like an elementary school maybe middle school black kid Mm-hmm. It felt very normal to me that, yes, of course, Cassie got, you know, picked up by the cops because right. that is what happens to kids, not mm-hmm. to girls as much, but mm-hmm. like that is what happens to uh black kids. Mm-hmm. And um I-, I feel like she was being she was doing something weird or being weird uh also at that point. I can't remember. But like it it was just like this felt very normal to me. Like, like of course, this is what happened. Yeah. This is why sensitivity readers are invaluable. Mm-hmm. One, pay your sensitivity readers. And mm-hmm. two, if... Like, I'm not saying you can't just have, like, people in the background and stuff like that, but if you're going to make a character, like, a forefront in your story talk to people if it's if it's something outside your lived experience talk to people whose experience it is mm-hmm. oh so you, know you what, don't fuck up you know what that makes me think of uh mm-hmm. sherlock the one with lucy Liu in it uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah uh like i wasn't able to get into the second season because there were a lot of fat jokes about mycroft that i wasn't able to get past but like yeah. in the first season we have a couple of black characters. Uh, we have, you know, the detective whose name escapes me right now. And he is a cop who just happens to be black most of the time. Like, there is a short story where, like, he has a whole conflict with his brother who went to jail. And there is, like, that very real tension of the respectability of, like, I'm a cop mm-hmm. and I don't want to be seen associating with, you know my sibling who was in prison as opposed to this is my sibling so on and Mm -hmm. so forth and but like for the most part this detective is just a cop uh who happens to be a black guy uh detective bell yeah detective bell he is a cop first and his blackness is it's not tacked on but it is not like the big signpost thing about him Right. And then we get uh the guy who becomes uh Sherlock's uh AA mentor. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And he's having a conversation with Lucy Liu's character because, uh, her character's like, uh, very suspicious of their interactions. Mostly, I think Sherlock was being weird because that sounds (laughs) about right. Yeah. (laughs) But like, they're having a conversation in a, um, uh, like, they're having a conversation and they're talking and he's like i've always wanted to be a mentor but like every time i was going to uh all of a sudden the person i was going to mentor just decided that they'd rather have a different mentor and like i can't remember exactly what he said but Mm -hmm. he was just like isn't that weird how it works something like that and uh, like, I really appreciated that because it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah. And like, he wasn't like a conventionally attractive guy on top of it. Mm-hmm. And whereas, you know, Detective Bell is very conventionally attractive. and Also so, light skinned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like, so I guess what I'm saying is that Sherlock is a good example of having characters of different races and mm-hmm. being good with it. Mm-hmm. So. And it yeah, sounds like I mean, those aren't um, necessarily super. Uh, they don't happen necessarily all the time or. Uh, yeah. Ele- super, elementary. Super indicative. Ele- yeah. El- this is the uh, actor who, uh, Alfredo. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, like oh, they yeah. also do interesting stuff with uh, Joan in that, who is mm-hmm. like has the name Joan Watson and mm-hmm. is played by Lucy Liu. But they mm-hmm. address that mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. text, like they have a conversation about why her family goes by Watson mm-hmm. and things like that. Like again, aware, and maybe you do do like say the casting, and maybe it wasn't intended, but then you bring that into. Um, Mm-hmm. into the pe- like um lever- leverage one of my all-time faves i'm mm. half i'm working my way through the new stuff but when they cast aldis hodge as alec hardison who is fucking uh, an incredible example of a <laughs> um a, a role that would normally be played by a white guy mm-hmm. and just like him coming in and getting to be the heart of that crew and this fucking modern day shakespeare he fucking can do it all. It's incredible. We love him. <laughs> but they let Aldis help with the scripting and he was allowed to improv a lot mm-hmm. to make him more like the black man he is mm-hmm. and like his mannerisms and stuff like that. They allowed him to help shape and form that character. So it wasn't just set dressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something like I haven't, uh, even finished the original leverage i really need to get back to it but yes, like you do. <laughs> something that Doc, really you do i know i know but sorry like, please make your point anyway yeah i'll, I'll stop uh, standing no 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 you're fine uh but like uh when he's first introduced uh they're like oh he is the hacker nerd he probably like lives in his mom's basement or something and it like makes a double impact when we get to his place and it's like no he's rich uh mm-hmm. i own all of this and i have more <laughs> money that i'm just not spending on anything 
And Mm -hmm. because the actor is black, that is more impactful than Mm -hmm. if he was white. Mm -hmm. And I just mm, love leverage. (sighs) It's very good. Yep. It's, but yeah. Um, Please do. I've, so we'll link to a couple of video uh, essays by, um, it's something that I, as a white person, am trying to be better about learning about so I can have informed conversations like and try to like elevate the voices of people that you should be listening to don't just listen to to my white ass like (laughs) this is why please check out these informed people who know what they're talking about and another reason why after Dirk um raised a a issue with some of how uh, Danielle and I unintentionally or not were framing our conversations around Cassie and how that was rubbing Dirk the wrong way, and they were right to bring us up on it. Granted, had a little bit of a moment about it because I'm a person, but also like we need to be aware of how we have these discussions and how we talk about things, especially like when we, as say uh, in Danielle and I's case, white folk talking about the experience of a black person, or when talking about again characters outside our lived experiences and trying to be aware. And give the option for people who know more about it to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking to people in the audience who are white and who do want to do better and be better and who are scared of, you know, like the whole Tumblr cancel thing, whatever. Like, uh, if you make a good faith effort to learn something, and then run into, holy shit, there's a whole bunch of this. Uh, and I don't know what is happening. Like, if you do have friends who are black, not black friends, friends who are black, you know the difference. You know you know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, just like, you know, when you interact with any marginalized group, we can tell when you're acting in good faith because like if uh jade or danielle asked me uh something like okay so i was watching this thing and this one chick had like uh really straight uh straightish hair and the other one had really curly hair and there was something going on about the hair uh (laughs) can you explain that to me i get that that's not something that's easy to explain. And, you know, I, I can go into a little bit the whole, like, respectability politics and all of that of black hair and all of that. But that is very different from going, oh, you know, why is it bad that, you know, uh, the only black woman in this entire series is somebody's grandmother and she's really pissed about everything all the time. Mm. Like. A, a good thing I saw that's one I've tried to uh, internalize is rather than go, hey, so you're insert minority here. What's up with this? Or can I do this? Or can I say this? Just like, Ask your friend as the individual they are. Like, hey, can I get your take on this? Not expecting them to speak for the entire group, but asking for their personal take on something. 
and also then don't use them as the example just sort of like to have a conversation about something just like like that example you just gave Dirk was like phenomenal so Mm -hmm. and like I remember when I posted a picture of a character of mine and you were just like oh yeah what hair type is this and I was like oh I was picturing this and you're like okay I got you here is some (laughs) intel like and it was good shit is my point Mm-hmm. Like it's like people can normally tell when you're engaging in good faith and when you're asking them to be play like the straw man role. Mm-hmm. Like be willing to do the work. And casual reminder to myself and to other people: if somebody pulls you up on something, it's because they care enough about you to want you to do better, and they trust you. Yes, because I promise you, if you are not hearing these things from the black people in your life, it means you have already proven to them that you are not trustworthy for them to say it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. (laughs) You're more than good. Yeah. 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 Uh, We appreciate you and your forthrightness. Yeah. The discord isn't picking up all of my, mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that today because I felt like I've been speaking into a void a whole bunch. I don't know whether it's just Discord's being really like on it on the low level noises, but it's yeah. like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. but like all of us are, you know, some variant of queer. Like we also know the thing or queer or allies. We also know the thing of like, if we are not talking to people about being queer, like we've already. Yeah, we've seen the signs and decided, you know what? Gonna leave that alone. Like, I was talking to Danielle before we started uh, about my new tattoo and how uh, a woman at work um, asked what it meant. And I'm like, I ain't telling you this is a trans pride thing. Fuck off. (laughs) But just like, I've heard the way you talk about gender related things. I ain't talking shit with you about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you said it's that, it's about trust. And yeah, like by putting in the work and things, you can be showing that you're a person that is maybe worth putting trust in. Yeah. Yeah. It's never too late to unlearn bad shit and educate yourself. Be better than Artran, is what I'm saying. But even if you are an (laughs) Artran, there could be hope for you. You can learn. Yeah. Yeah. You can be taught. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a good takeaway from this book is that uh, Aftrain isn't too late to quote unquote save. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's this this whole thing with Cassie um, and uh, the the disservice that she is uh, given by the writers in ignoring her blackness and in also giving her making her be the moral center and the only moral center and also making some weird arguments um Mm -hmm. it's -hmm. just it all compounds to be really uh it's a big issue with the series um and it would be extremely remiss to not point it out at least that like yeah, if you if they, you're gonna mm-hmm, go on, sorry, they drop the ball big time. Like, yeah, and I yeah, know, if, I know it's partly just because 
just because it's partly because in the 90s like this it, colorblind was the thing um and like all all the white people were like oh yes racism is over martin luther king did the thing and now there is no more racism isn't it great like yeah <laughs> it was that that whole thing about oh i don't see color and just yeah. like yeah then you don't see the problems and you are no use to anybody yeah as someone who very much grew up like that mm-hmm. like it i was steeped in it um mm. and yeah. it it is very it is it is very much a problem in its own way and in a different way than uh the kind of racism that people think of when um, mm-hmm. when you yeah. call someone a racist yeah we, we we are living in a time where like being called a racist is as bad is considered like the worst thing because people have such an idea in their head of what it means to be that and don't mm-hmm. realize just how big a thing it is and how many more things it includes yeah so. and um like speaking to you know I don't see a color like if you don't see color why'd you say that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you you obviously can tell that there's some kind of difference here uh mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it ignores yeah. a lot of the uh experiences that black yeah. people continue to have in our society uh both positive and negative although there are a shit ton of negative ones um it yeah, it it ignores the differences and the and it minimizes the struggles. Yeah. Minimizes mm. the struggles, erases the culture. It's colonialism yes. as well. Um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh it's I I just wish wish it was better. I wish it was better and it's not and it's something that I have to grapple with as a fan of animorphs that mm-hmm. like it, I can't that they they dropped the ball. In yeah. a big way. Yeah. Like, I can I can pretty confidently say that Animorphs is anti-fascist. I can't confidently say that it's anti-racist. Um, because, uh, like, the, the connotation of anti-racist is actively working against racism. Mm-hmm. And that is not what these books are doing. Um, like, people usually cite there's a, mo- a crowning moment of awesome that Cassie has in uh, Megamorphs 3. Uh, that I don't want to spoil because it is legitimately pretty awesome, but it's like one instance and it doesn't like that. That's the only, it's honestly one of the only instances in the entire series that I can think of where Cassie being black means literally anything at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and people cite that thing as like, ah, yes, these books are anti-racist because look at this scene. And it's like, "Mm, mm, no, no, that's not really how that works. works. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But. Good conversation. Good conversation. Feel free to come into the server and continue this conversation. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. I will will be happy to have this conversation with you. And um, like, I can already tell you, uh, if you are black, the server is a safe place to have these conversations. Uh, very early when I was in there, uh, somebody who's 
hasn't been on this podcast. Uh, I, I can't even remember what they said now, but, you know, I remember looking at it and going, ah, there are allies in here, and this is someone who is integral to the group, which means, like, they're talking to the others about this sort of thing, which means this is a safe place to be. Mm. So... Thank you, Dirk. That uh, Thank you. <laughs> means a lot, honestly. <laughs> um, uh, we over in Roomware uh, try to take pride in our Discord server, and that means a lot that you feel safe there. Yeah. Um, it, it started with Anya. Like they they were mm-hmm. making some complaint about the library they were at like yeah. three years ago, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> but like them saying that and like knowing that you know they're like an integral part of the group made me go okay if they're saying this here like publicly in the server there are definitely conversations that we're not seeing that happen in private with the others and Mm -hmm. i just uh, yeah 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 that that particular uh kind of train of thought runs both ways right where if someone says something questionable out loud you're like "Mm, what are you thinking about in your head it also mm-hmm. kind of works the other way a lot of times. Yeah. Um, all right. Why don't we do our our kind of summarizing questions here? Uh, yes. So, yes, yes. possible rankings out of ten. How would you rate the plot? Hmm. Solid. Not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Mm, give it. I. I- uh, I, I think it's a I think it's a very good and interesting plot. I would put it seven point five out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> good, we got a number. We can move on. I like I, I like this. Yeah, I, uh, I would I would pretty agree with that. Yeah, fair enough. I'll concede. Mm-hmm. Uh, characterization, and we're not talking about how likable the characterization right. is. This That's is true, yeah. How is the characterization? Because, like, I feel it's very strong, and I really yeah. like, like, the, the stuff we see of the others as well. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. true. I yeah. think this is almost the quintessential Cassie book. Um, as, as much as, you know, a lot of people come out of this book with a, a sour taste mm-hmm. in their mouth, for good reason, um, it, I think it is extremely Cassie as, as the writers probably envisioned her to be. Um, and maybe not yeah. the ideal of her character type, but I think it's very true to who she is in this series. Fair. Um, do we have a number? <laughs> I say nine out of ten. Yeah, cool. I would I would even go to 10 out of 10 because of, like, I think it is extremely true to her, even if there are definitely major Issues flaws with it. With it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, and uh, enjoyability slash satisfaction. I'm happy to say mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily, and I said this when we first started on our first recording, I didn't especially enjoy it. I do mm-hmm. find it satisfying. Mm-hmm. And that's why enjoyability and satisfaction are both here. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. And I find like the ending and where where it got to made up for the parts I found not so engaging or I struggled with. Mm-hmm. So I'll put that at um, I'll put that at a solid seven point five. 
Because I do think it's a strong, good book, even if I didn't necessarily have a lot of fun reading chunks of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about you, Dirk? Mm, I I, I think I go up to eight. Mm -hmm. That's fair. It's uh, good. It was very satisfying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I would go up another half point, say eight and a half. Yeah. because I really do like this book. <laughs> That's fair. These 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 rankings are personal. They are not prescriptive, you know. Uh, all right, all right. What was your favorite part? I really enjoyed the Cassie perspective on the metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. That's prob like to read, and like the implications of it. That's probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marco rescuing Karen from the mm, leopard. Mm-hmm. Good like, shit. Hands down, without a doubt, my absolute favorite bit. Yeah. I think my I favorite part is uh, that last conversation before Cassie decides to turn into a caterpillar. Mm-hmm. That last mm-hmm. conversation with Karen. Um, mm. And both of them just being these incredibly flawed people just trying to make one small piece um yeah i really liked it uh i also want to give a shout out to the conversation between jake and the others regarding what they do with karen that yeah was fucking mm-hmm. tight loved that yeah and and everyone's response to that yes yes yeah. yes that's why my characterization score was so high it was largely down to that too um all right anything surprise anybody or Danielle on the reread. Uh, did anything catch you sideways, as it were? I mean, I'll go first and say I was not expecting Cassie to quit. Like, <laughs> I did not go into book 19 thinking I was going to see Cassie go, actually, you know what, fuck this. Um, <laughs> because of, like, the conversation she's had in previous books about, like, the role she puts upon herself, I was surprised to then have that happen, even if it does make logical progression narratively. It did literally go, oh, really? Wow, okay. Because mm-hmm. hmm. mm-hmm. it happens right off the fucking bat, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right like, so beginning. early in the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for me, because uh, I, I have read this book, like, years and years ago, so long ago that I might as well not have, so the thing that actually surprised me was how small and young Karen the host was. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because like she's got a yerk in her, so she behaves more maturely. But like even like my first read of it, I was like, how I'm not sure how old she is. She's like, what, 15, right? Wait, no. Confusion. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh Danielle? I know you said about the whole Yerk peace movement thing. Yeah, I think that was... I I feel like overall I understood this book better and what specifically the arguments Cassie and Aftran were making. Um, Because I... uh, I don't think I fully understood it as a kid. Um, And even more recently than that, I don't think I necessarily understood it because it's the idea of, um, I don't want to kill any more 
people. And I want a solution to this situation, even if it's just between you and me. I want something different to happen here. Um, even more recently, I didn't understand that bit until I read and reread and now have reread it again uh, <laughs> for the process of this <laughs> podcast. Um, mm -hmm. And it makes the progress progression of it makes much more sense to me. I feel like I understand it a lot better. Um, and it has, it has heightened my enjoyment of the book for all of its flaws. Um, because that was always something that was, that bothered me is like, I just don't understand what, why Cassie would do this ever. Um, but I think I, I can understand why she would do it, even if I don't agree with it. Um, but yeah. Uh, was there any part that didn't make sense to you or that you didn't understand Pigging, piggybacking right off of that? I mean, maybe just like the whole, like, what are emotions? And, <laughs> and, like, but yeah, no, I'm pretty, pretty solid on this mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same for me. Like, it was, it all seemed very clear for me. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. Uh, and uh, do you think this is essential Animorphs reading? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. If only for the Yerk stuff. Yeah. And their perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really not looking forward to later books when they undo some of Cassie's character development and then have her redo it. It's going to be great. But yeah, no. Yes. Very, very much essential. Yeah. Yeah. It's Cassie gets two really good books. Uh, and that's that's it um and even then they're flawed like this one is you know they don't have the impact that they could have uh, but yeah that is number 19 the departure any last comments i'm not surprised by i but i just hope our listeners enjoyed the fucking probably five and a half hours worth of discussion we had about this one book. And this wasn't even a big one. Yeah. Yeah, I knew going in this would be meaty. Uh, and this, for similar reasons, is why we've split Hork-Bajir Chronicles into two separate things. Uh, for listeners, we're going to have uh, Jade and I discussing the kind of more plotty stuff of the Hork-Bajir Chronicles first. And then we have a round table with uh, some special guests from the Twitter Animorphs fandom that I'm super excited about. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and talk about some of the really troubling characterization of the Hork-Bajir. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but same bad time, same bad channel. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Dirk, for joining us again. Thank you it's so been much. Wonderful to have you. Um, yeah. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to see more of what you do and hear more of your thoughts? Heck yeah. Uh, you can find me at Hope's Hearth Pod on Twitter. You can also find me at PF underscore Diva for the spicy stuff on Twitter. And I'm on the Hope's Hearth Podcast. It is 
an actual play sci-fantasy in which uh, a bunch of alien refugees make a luxury space commune. So check us out. And my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. Uh, you can check out their home podcast, follow the leader at FTLcast on Twitter. Uh, if you enjoy just a lot of really, really good characterization uh, and storytelling, you would will love Follow the Leader. Um, and listen to them on Dumb Kids Playing Hero, which is the podcast we are both on, uh, wherein I GM a game uh, that I wrote uh, for Animorphs um, set in 2003 Boston with a wildly different set of characters, except maybe not wildly so different. Uh-huh. Uh, if you can tell by the way we uh, cry about them here, constantly. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, if if uh, if you like animals, what would it be like if uh, Rachel was a few years older and uh, a Thai kickboxer, or if uh, Benny somehow existed, uh, if Marco existed somehow across multiple characters, uh, <laughs> <laughs> including a hacker and a fisherman? Check yeah. it out. Yeah. You ain't you can, ready. Yeah. You can catch that on Twitter at DKPHpod uh, or f- look for Dumb Kids Playing Hero wherever your, your podcatcher is. Uh, and my amazing co host has been Danielle. You can find them on the internet at Red Tailed Hawk 90, including uh, their games at itch.io at that Red Tailed Hawk 90 that I just said, uh, where you can pick up a copy of Idiot Teenage with the Death Wish and play out your own Animorphs nonsense. Uh, Volley uh, Edition 2 is coming out soon, and that is uh, free because Scholastic. That's it. Uh, <laughs> their home <laughs> podcast is The Room Where It Happened, which is back from its uh, hiatus yeah. and is moving into its uh, final arcs. Shit is getting loud in the bleed. It's sci-fi goodness with found family and robots and queerness. Check it out. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. All right. Let's do a heckin' clap. Let's do a heckin' clap. I need to be on time to this. Yep. Um, <clears throat> clap at 30. <laughs>